Hey y'all, it's me, Adriana. I just wanted to hop on real quick before this episode and let you guys know a couple of different things. One, I have started a community where we do talk about mental health specifically, and it has options for you to connect with other people who are locally to you and in your area that are also going through the exact same stage of treatment that you're in. And, and you get the bonus of weekly material that will allow you to continue to process what you're going through and help you assimilate and heal from that. We also have small support groups. They're very small, intimate groups where you have the opportunity to meet other parents who are going through the same stage of treatment as your child, whether it be in treatment or off treatment or bereavement. And in this group, you get an opportunity to process everything that you're going through face-to-face virtually with people across the world, really. And and if that's not your jam, then there's ways to connect online just virtually through messaging boards. And also, we also run a book club that gives you the opportunity to read through material. It also allows us to process and assimilate everything that we've gone through, through material of other authors that have written and gone through trials and tribulations. So join us in any and or all of these communities that Family Chemotherapy now offers. And if you want more one-on-one attention, reach out to me and I would be glad to help you. Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, where we discuss ways to cope through a pediatric cancer diagnosis. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. Before we jump right in, I wanted to just to quickly come in and say hi, I'm Adriana, your host. And if you could please hit subscribe to this podcast, if you have listened to my other ones, and you've enjoyed some of the resources that I put out there. And if you could also kindly rate this podcast, I would love a five star review, but you know, you rate it as you feel I have earned. And if I have not earned a five star, I would love to know what it would take um, other than changing who I am as a person, obviously, but um, I would love to know what it would take to get me to a five star review. So if you could please subscribe and submit a review and share this with anyone that you feel would benefit from Family Chemotherapy Podcast. Thank you so much. Hi, and welcome to Family Chemotherapy. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. I am super excited today. I have a fantastic guest. His name is Dr. Frederick Luskin. He is uh, a lecturer of medicine at Stanford, and I wanted to welcome you, Dr. Luskin, and thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us. And uh, I know this topic, basically what we're going to talk about today is about forgiveness. And so I would love to hear, um, how you got into this field, a little bit about your background and just what you think would be helpful for families going through, um, pediatric cancer to learn about cancer, uh, and forgiveness. So I'll give you the mic. Well, one, one, thank you. And, um, you know, one, one of the things about forgiveness that you want to be thoughtful about is to, to not just limit it to like what your own issue is. But when you think of forgiveness, and I know your 
audience and in your own personal need is because you've had six children and that can impact the family. I mean, forgiveness is a big human need. Like, you know, so for you, the issue may be sick kids, difficult doctors, friends who don't understand, families who are not helpful. But different people suffer from human indifference and carelessness in different ways. And one of the things that I found that they teach people from really grasping forgiveness is that, that they think it's mostly for what's affecting them, not just a, a universal kind of sacred idea. Mm -hmm. And when you get too lost and it's just about my little group, you lose some of its power, you know, because it's just for everybody. Yeah. That, that would be the strongest response I give you at first. The second is I got into this because my my one of my best friends in the world simply abandoned me one day. Wow. And I was miserable and, and I had no idea how to cope. And he was literally like you know, friend family, you know, like family of choice kind of mm -hmm. thing. And um, I was, was like being hit by a two by four. And it took me a few years to recover and deal with it. And at its worst moment, like just, cause I, all of a sudden I didn't know how to trust life and the world, which is, at the core of what makes people struggle to forgive is the floor disappears. Mm -hmm. They used to like standing all of a sudden this quick thing. So I depended on this guy as like one of my absolutely dearest people and gone. So after a few years and I was just about a licensed therapist at the time and it did me no good. The only thing that saved my, let's say, heart, so to speak, I simply forgave him. And that changed part of my life and gave me something to experiment with when I had my doctoral dissertation to write at Stanford. I figured if I couldn't do this forgiveness thing, and though obviously other people couldn't as well. So I took some of the things that I learned from my own misery and tried to help other people with them. So that that's where it started. That's so, I mean, it's amazing that you were able to take something so difficult and almost tragic for you and to turn around and say, you know what? here's how I'm coping through or have coped through this. And I know other people are struggling. So I'm going to put something out there to help other people. That's amazing. And I'm sorry that your friend ghosted you. That's got to be a horrible feeling because we've, we in the pediatric uh, cancer world, we actually experience, experience our, our friends and family ghosting us, you know, during our most difficult time. So I can relate to you on that level. And, and you know, the interesting thing is after I forgave him, a, a while later, we became friends again. And now mm. we are again the best of friends. Oh, that's so beautiful. 
but I had to literally open my heart back up because unforgiveness is like you close your heart down and you retreat inside yourself and you just kind of duck and cover in the world. Not a happy place. Wow. And even just the concept of forgiving someone, you know, when people say, well, forgive that person. And most of the time it's just forgive and forget is kind of what people say, forgive and forget. Right. But the fact like true, in my opinion, the true sign of forgiveness is the ability to reopen your heart to that person who has hurt and wronged you. And that's, that's really profound. Well, forgive and forget is one of the really stupid ideas around <laughs> forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like uh, we, we've done research literally with mothers who have had their children murdered. Wow. And so what are you going to do? Tell them to forget like who their kid was? Or we, we've gone into, um, I, I just got back not that long ago from Colombia where we're trying to help as a forgiveness response to a civil war in Northern Ireland and after the World Trade Center. So how can you forget about the worst thing that ever happened to you? Mm -hmm. So it's a stupid idea. What's, what's a smarter idea is to recognize again that you're not alone as a human being who is suffering. That, that is incredibly common on planet Earth. The question is, what's the best way to deal with that suffering? And that's where forgiveness comes in. You wow. don't forget. You work on what your, what your insides are. You work on those. Wow, that's amazing. So you ended up doing, you lived this experience, you ended up doing your dissertation on forgiveness. And then um, you've been presenting around, it sounds internationally almost, right? If you're going to Columbia and, and other locations, you've been, yeah. that's awesome. Do you have uh, several books out as well? Yeah, Forgive for Good and Forgive for Love. Um, but let me, like, right now, we're in the process of collaborating with a research team in, um, where is it? I think Madison, Wisconsin, you know, so center of the United States, mm -hmm. down south, they're up north. And we're helping them um, investigate forgiveness for people who are dying of cancer in old age. So we're looking at helping the hospice there um, create a forgiveness training for people in the last X number of months from cancer. Because at the end of life, there's often regret, some bitterness that hasn't been worked through, and, and just some, you know, I screwed up in some ways. So what I'm trying to get at is this is a, a lifelong need. 
it comes back episodically, but it's a lifelong need. It's not just for parents and families with a sick kid. Mm-hmm. That's a use of it, but you wanna you wanna make it bigger. So you see your connection to the human family. Can you tell us a little bit on the bigger scale, like what is forgiveness? Because I know in in my practice, I always tell my clients that you can forgive somebody and still be mad. Yeah. Those are two you different things. Be, you can still be what? Mad. You Probably can still have emotion. Not. I don't think so. I think you can forgive them and still stay in relationship with them. But I don't think you can stay mad. Uh, What you realize after a while is what they might have done is wrong. Mm -hmm. But I don't need to blame them for making me upset. I need to learn how to teach myself not to be upset. So you take away the power that they have over you to upset you. That, that's the forgiveness piece. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess in, in some part, I wonder when there's a situation and it does create a lot of emotion. And I, and I think when I was reading through your article, you talk about different phases, but I think there are certain situations, let's say, your spouse cheats on you. We'll just throw that one out there. Like if your spouse cheats cheats on you and you choose to forgive, but you're still, you're choosing to forgive, but you're still upset about that situation. But that shows that you haven't yet done the work of forgiveness. Okay. What they have discussed is there's two parts of forgiveness. There's decisional forgiveness and, and like, lived forgiveness so the decision is i want to forgive then the disposition of it is when my upset comes back i work on letting it go that's how you manifest forgiveness in your life the decision is only the beginning so one of the things that we learned and i'll I'll tell you the, the first project and this is like horrifying even to remember. First project where we tested our forgiveness stuff with like major issues. We brought about half a dozen mothers from Northern Ireland who had had their sons murdered in that conflict between the Catholics and the Protestants. Mm-hmm. And they come from Belfast, which in January is like cold and gray. And we brought them to Palo Alto and it's sunny and it's January and we brought them to the window what right when they showed up and we had them open the blinds wide and let the rays of the sun hit them and then tell them that the same I'm going to say nature God whatever you think it is that created your child so to speak created the sun, it's both the giver and the taker. Mm -hmm. So if you let the fact that it's a taker stop you from seeing the gifts, 
that's that's what unforgiveness does. It, it stops you from singing the gift. So we had them open their arms, let the sun's rays come and hit their chest and say, just remember, whether it's God you believe in or nature, the exact same force that's warming your chest gave you a child, took that child away. Right now you have a choice. Are you open again to the sun or have you closed down? Forgiveness means you don't give up loving your kid or loving whatever it is, but you open back to life. So in pediatric cancer, basically, um, there are so many different situations that kind of come up. And I, I think briefly in one of your articles, it mentions misdiagnosis. I, I don't like saying the diagnosis because often it's misdiagnosed. And in children, it is like exponentially more common to be misdiagnosed than it would be in an adult. And so we have a lot of misdiagnosis. We have literally our frontline people who are pediatricians and whatnot, who dismiss our concerns and we push and we push and we go through every avenue possible to get a diagnosis. And we're constantly being told, you know, oh no, he's fine. He's fine. And so when you finally do get a diagnosis, there's this sense of anger and hurt and bitterness that comes from a misdiagnosis. And then on top of that, you've got family or friends who completely ghost you people that you're hoping, you know, should be in your corner who aren't. And so, um, a lot of different situations that come up in the pediatric cancer world. I like, I'll give you an example for me personally. Um, I mean, I, I, in my life, I've been with somebody who had cancer. So I have been through the whole experience of hospitals and visits and chemo. It's not foreign to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I had no idea. What's that? I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that, but let me give you a response. One of the things that your question presupposes is that there should be a cure for everything. And some things there's no cure for yet. So when we go to a doctor or a hospital, we have to recognize that they're flawed, imperfect, mm -hmm. lack knowledge, and you know, maybe a hundred years from now they'll know more. A hundred years from now, they knew almost nothing. But if you go there with the, the attitude that they have to be able to cure my kid, then you're setting yourself up for psychological problems because you're not seeing things correctly. Yeah. That's hard and, to tell a parent. But you, you, you know about mental health. That's crucial. Mm -hmm. So if you came with just a little more humility, which is, I'm desperately afraid, and I love this kid more than anything, but unfortunately, it's unknown to some degree, mm -hmm. then you wouldn't be so angry. 
you might have a more appropriate emotion of deep sadness and loss, and maybe even empathy for the doctors who don't know enough. And unfortunately, they don't have the humility to talk about how little they know, so they make it hard for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I know it's true. But you want to cultivate maybe some compassion for everybody. Like, I'm this parent stuck in a situation that's almost impossible to deal with. So let I, me be kind to myself. And I think, you know, um, in the world of pediatric cancer, I want to say there's less, and I can't, you know, I can't really tell you for sure because this is just like observation, but most of the time people have a very positive relationship with their child oncologist for the most part. The Because we're very blessed in pediatric oncology. The doctors are amazing. They are really humble. They, Good. That's they nice we don't deal hear. with the egos, you know? Yeah, um, I have and I, okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, it, that's where we are a little bit different in the, the adult versus childhood cancer. Cause I hear that a lot from the adult world that they dealt with egos. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've yet to encounter and I've had several different oncology um, doctors that I've dealt with and just, there's not a whole lot of complaints with them. I think the main no. part where a lot of people get some of their frustration warms, begins with the pediatrician. That, warm, that warms my heart. Yeah, yeah. We're very, very warm. blessed. Yeah, more collegial. Yes, for sure. So then there'd be even less reason for anger and unforgiveness. On that side, I would say the pediatrician, so like primary care physician, right? Who, yeah. and so part of the issue is um, understanding like pediatricians aren't very well trained in pediatric cancer, unfortunately. And so they misdiagnosis, you know, and that creates part of the resentment because by the time kids get, you know, their diagnosis, they're usually in their late, like a late stage, like stage three or stage four. Right. And that's where the anger comes from because I mean, literally they're like, Oh no, it's nothing, you know? And that's, those are the words that stick around in people's hearts. And so kind of going back to like that one example, I have an example for me personally, where our, I went through three different doctors and I literally had someone tell me, you are hyper-focusing on facial asymmetry that we all have. And I was like, I, well, what about the pain? Oh, kids complain about, about pain all the time and it's nothing. And I'm like, well, that just doesn't sit right with me. And I'm like, I feel like I should know my child. I know when he gets a new freckle, you know, I feel like I would notice a difference. And so being basically told you're just being a very paranoid parent that's what stings most parents. And for me, like I've come to terms with those doctors and to some degree. And one of them like was my child's pediatrician and I had to make a choice. Like I forgive him because he doesn't like, he wasn't, how could he know, you know, like he couldn't really know it's a tumor inside my child's head, <laughs> you know? Um, but for me, 
I decided to sever that relationship to, to allow myself to trust a different person because I felt like my trust was no longer there. And it's hard to recoup a trust when it's a huge. So let me, that's one of the reasons why I spoke to you the way I did. So if you enter the situation knowing that they may not know enough, that they are human and imperfect, and that they, the, the knowledge is not where we, any of us would like it. Mm-hmm. Then you recognize that one, you, you can't like necessarily expect them to cure. Like you, you have to lower the expectations, but you also that raises your responsibility to articulate for yourself and your child. Yes. That, that, because they're not necessarily as expert as they might want you to believe, and the whole field doesn't know enough, then it changes the relationship and the trust is different, which is, you know, I'm trusting you to do the best you can, and maybe I have to get another opinion, and, and, and it's actually very vulnerable and scary to keep that trust. Mm-hmm. It's really scary to trust somebody like that. It's, it's as raw and vulnerable as we human beings get when somebody we love's life, you know, is held by somebody. Yeah. I struggled for eight months, nine months with trying to make a decision of how I was going to, if I was going to stick around with the same pediatrician or not. And I tried to stick around. I tried it. And then I felt like to some level, I had a hard time trusting, you know, and I'm like, that's not what I need at this point. But that's legit. I mean, that's not a mistake. That's true. I think they don't don't know enough. They, they, we're, we humans are not there yet, or we're not perfect, and and we're all struggling. So every parent with a ch- sick child, unless on a handful of diseases where there's like a ninety percent cure rate, you're all sitting with that existential angst of what do I do? Yeah. And I feel like for me, I, cause I reached out to the, we have a group basically. And I was like, okay, I'm struggling whether or not I should stay or go. And I feel like I forgive the doctor, but I also feel so guilty le- leaving because there's that level of, well, they've been through us through everything else. And so it was difficult. And somebody, I remember someone said to me, you just need to forgive. We forgave our doctor and we stayed with them and it's been fine. And I'm like, what about the trust? Like forgiveness, trust. Like that's why it's like, just forgive, forget and move on kind of deal. Like that's the the notion that people struggle with. Like, what does that mean? Doesn't mean that you don't have to think and guide your ship and take care of business and make decisions. What it means is when people let you down or fail, you don't stay connected to them for very long with hatred or bitterness. That's what it means. Like you, you cut those cords, but you don't cut your necessity for advocating for your kid, for reading everything you can about it, for asking for help, 
for agonizing over decisions, those are always your responsibility. When you make a bad decision and trust the wrong person, that's also forgivable. Yeah. Because none of us know enough. And so, and so go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Let you finish your thought. Um, that's fine. I'm okay. Um, there is this interesting what you'll see in pediatric cancer, and I'm sure this is in the adult world too, but it's interesting because in, in pediatric cancer, the parent takes on so much guilt for their child's diagnosis in the terms of like, it's something that I did in my past. It's because of my current lifestyle. It has to be the reason why. I know, right? exactly. And so forgiveness sometimes, um, not is it forgiving the doctors or you know the friends and the family, but what about forgiveness of oneself? How does one work through that? As a human being, we all have the almost impossible task of figuring out life and death, of, of figuring out um, what's the right thing to do, of who to believe. It's all hard. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that we deal with all the ambiguity and all the vulnerability is we try to make it easier on ourselves by making categories of things, good or bad, or of making up these demands that somehow I should have known better. Instead of fully facing how scary it is. It's like in the religious terms, those are dark nights of the soul. I've heard of that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Where it's just you and, 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 and whatever God you believe in and whatever you have faith in, it's just you and that experience alone to do the best you can. But if you don't make the best decision or you don't get the best guidance, it's going to hurt like hell for a while. That's just true. But at some point, you, you simply let go of blame that like anybody was at fault because you change that to in a very difficult, crazy circumstance, we did the best we could. And to demand more is unkind. Did the best we could. Just that's how people forgive even abusive parents, you know, they didn't have much to offer, but they did the best they could. And unfortunately their best was terrible, but I don't want to move forward blaming my parents for my life because that's going to ruin my life. And that's the forgiveness piece. I don't want to, I don't want to hold on to the past in a negative way because that will that will crimp my future. So for somebody like you who let your kid sounds fine, that would be really easy to let go into simple gratitude that 
like just thank you world thank you god whatever whatever took me here <laughs> i'm just glad i'm here and i i leave all the junk behind if your kid's okay that's probably the healthiest attitude if your kid doesn't come out okay then you have much deeper suffering to go through but blaming after a period of grieving it just it just makes your life harder what would you say is the stepping stone for someone who is struggling to forgive how does somebody get there like if they're struggling to forgive themselves or for struggling to forgive somebody else of course what are those things that they need to work through so that they can learn to forgive well i mean some of it is simply an acceptance of elizabeth kubler ross's um five stages of grieving that there's a period of time where i'm going to be angry there's a period of time where i'm going to be frightened there's a period of time where i may be depressed there's a period of time where i won't even admit that it happened that it's too much to handle and then if i let those periods into me and accept them and embrace them and cry when i'm sad and kick things when i'm angry and you know and and live the pain then after a while i get a choice what do i want to do now do i want to stay stuck in that pain or do i want to try to let it go and move ahead you can't rush the grief mm -hmm. but at some point that grief presents you a choice which is okay it's been 2 years now what do you want then the practice is to change your story. That's the practice. So let's say a doctor completely screwed up and caused harm to a kid. Well, first, the doctor didn't create the disease. So it's not 100% the doctor's fault. Mm -hmm. You got to come to grips in your own life with whether you believe in, in a religious thing or a just a secular thing. What creates disease? Is it just living? Is it God's will? We all have to come to grip with some of that. And the only way we do that is when we stop blaming the doctor, you know, like mm -hmm. what happened? But the story has to change. So after, let's say for 18 months, you tell everybody that you know that you know you got screwed over by a shitty doctor and then somewhere around 18 months you say to yourself that's not the story i want anymore about my life i want a nicer story and that's when forgiveness emerges because you're not telling the story of victimhood anymore you're telling a kinder story about you know, we did the best we could and the doctors did the best they could, even if they made a mistake and the disease was just too strong and it's awful. And I don't know how people live on this goddamn planet, but I'm not going to be bitter. 
because the big reason is I still have people left alive to love. Mm -hmm. And bitterness gets in the way of that. Yeah, it does. It, it does. You can say that you would, you know, when you look at bitterness, in my opinion, you could say that you could be bitter only in one aspect of your life, but that's, in my opinion, completely the, you know, furthest from the truth that you can get. I feel like bitterness seeps into all areas and all relationships. When you have bitterness in one, it starts to like present itself through all of your other relationships. And, um, it definitely changes you, you know, and you become this like saltier person and people struggle to be around you when you're bitter. <laughs> you know, with, with the first group of people we took from Northern Ireland were all women. And they, again, each had a child murdered. And, you know, there's no way to make that easy. It's just no way. Mm -hmm. But what we did was we tried to get them to grieve the loss fully. Change the story from victim to hero. Like, even though nature or God gave you a really difficult experience, it didn't wreck you. Like, that's a different story. And I've learned to forgive the things that had hurt me. Yeah. And now I can move ahead. We brought many of those people back for another session. And, and some of the the other children of some of these mothers told us that we gave them their mother back. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, because they were so bitter at life for taking their kid that they lost part of their heart. And that's the real crime of it. It's really profound. Um, I jotted down as you spoke. I love that you said first, it seems like the first stage in the process is grieve. Grieve however you need to. The anger, the fear, you know, the depression, all of it. Just but allow yourself that space to grieve. And then changing your story from victim to hero or more like even just in certain situations, like you, your example, the child who would have had cancer anyway, that's actually literally the exact same thing that the conversation was like in our home, the very first week of diagnosis, you know, because there was that, like, I can't believe these people missed it. Like three doctors, we went through three doctors five times in less than a month and they missed it. And I remember saying to my spouse, I said, at the end of the day, if they would have caught it a month ago, he still would have had cancer. Maybe it would have been a little bit smaller, you know, um, but he still would have had cancer. We would still be right here at a hospital figuring out how to heal my child, you know, how to get him well enough and to let him live more days, you know? And so, um, and we don't know, you know, when, when I did a, a project with, people whose family members were killed at 9-11. Mm -hmm. The weirdest thing, because some people 
who worked in the World Trade Center, they didn't show up to work that day and they escaped. And other people never were in the World Trade Center except that morning and they got killed. So we don't know the accounting systems that this world operates on. So we don't know why we got the wrong diagnosis. You know, we don't know why somebody else got the right diagnosis. We don't know why somebody, I have a friend of mine who had an automobile accident and in the hospital for that, they found out that he had a very tiny case of lung cancer, which they operated on. But if he hadn't been in the hospital for that, he never would have found it. Wow. So we have to be open to the mystery that we live in and, and not just think that we control it all. And getting mad is a way of trying to control it mm. when we couldn't control it at the time. I love that. I love that. Getting mad is a way of us trying to control it. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, if I get pissed off, then it's like I'm actually doing something, which is ridiculous. You're not doing anything at all. You're just mad. Well, when you said that, what came to mind for me immediately was existentially. You know, there's a lot of, obviously, cancer goes across all denominations, all religions and everything, right? But um, the anger that presents towards God for some people, right? Like, some people manifest anger towards other people, but some people are mad at God because God allowed this. And that really resonates with me in in the sense that, you know, saying that getting mad is a way of trying to control something that you weren't able to control. And you can't control God, you know, you can't control the powers that be or whatever, right? The, whoever it is that you believe creates the cancer and gives us life and takes away life. It is so hard to let go of people we love when they're ill and to trust either that the medical world would take care of them or they're safe with our whatever religious thing we have. But that's one of the hardest things for a human being to do. But it shows us also while we're going through it Like, do we have faith in things? Like, do we believe that there's a a goodness or a a God that cares or that nature has a purpose? It shows us what we really believe. So that's a better way sometimes of handling and then just getting curious because it actually reveals to you your character. Yeah. And how you deal with it your parenthood or your relationship with other people, um, like the people who do ghost you and stuff. Like I can definitely, yeah, that, that just resonated with me for, for that. So there, there's two, three other pieces besides just change the story. One is key to forgiveness is be thankful for what you have. So we have taught people that, yes, 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 it's awful what happened to you. And you woke up in the morning in a bed with food in the refrigerator and running water 
and there's 800 million people on planet Earth who didn't. So um, count your blessings. It'll help you keep things in perspective and help you talk more honestly about your life. So that, that's, a, that's an important balance for both the stress and the mental experiences. You know, yeah, I have a lot of blessings. I just don't get them all. Yeah. Another one is, um, and you're a therapist, so you know something about cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. um, we have our own little simplification of it called unenforceable rule. So an unenforceable rule is simply a demand about something you don't control. And when you keep on saying the doctor should have been able to diagnose it, that's just a demand on something you don't control or know anything about. And I'm not excusing the doctor at all. I'm just talking about my own or your mental health. Mm -hmm. So work on the, uh, you know, the irrational cognitions or the cognitive distortions. That's important work. Like, you know, yeah. not catastrophizing, not thinking black and white. There's a, so cognitive work is essential. And the last piece is some simple meditation to quiet your nervous system down and open your heart back up. So these are the practices that we do for the Stanford Forgiveness Project. You should, I don't know if you've seen the book that I wrote called Forgive for Good. Not yet, but it's on my to-do list now that my child is. Yeah, you'd find it really helpful. And I can send you some stuff. Yes, please do. Set that you could send to people that you try to help. But Forgive for Good details this easily and simply about how to deal with it. But if you, if you have a minute, let me just guide you through a simple meditation to calm your nervous system down. Okay? I would love it, yeah. All right, so is all I'm gonna ask you to do, this is like 90 seconds, maybe less, but the first piece is just close your eyes and just sit in a way that you're relaxed and comfortable. That's the key piece. Just sit comfortably and, and allow your shoulders to relax because that's where we mostly armor up. So just allow your shoulders to relax and settle and soften and just like bring your attention to your belly and just allow your breathing to center and soften and gentle. And make sure when you inhale that you expand your belly and abdomen. And when you exhale, you contract your belly and abdomen. 
So when you breathe in, your belly gets bigger. When you breathe out, your belly contracts. And then just bring an image to your mind of someone you absolutely adore. Bring an image to your mind of someone you love, not somebody that you're in conflict with, or if it's a difficult experience, don't bring that person to your mind. Bring someone else's image to your mind that you love. And, and try to feel in your heart the affection you have for this person. Just try to open your own heart to the affection that you have already for this human. And then just sit for like 10 seconds like feeling like your own heart, just that you're you're good and things are safe and what just feel that. And then just let that go. Wow. That's beautiful. So, Right. So what we do is try to teach people to do that with the things that they're grateful for. So if I assume you have a husband or partner who mm -hmm. helps you with this. Yes. It's really important to like remind yourself about how lucky you are to have a caring partner and bring that into your body. So the stress you're going through isn't quite as hard. Yes. From a forgiveness point of view, when you're, let's say something went wrong and you're just pissed, the first 10 times allow yourself to be pissed because it's good information. But starting on time 11, when you get pissed, get rid of it by doing something like this, like just Take a few deep breaths and remember that you love. So you don't need to be pissed right now. And that's how you practice letting it go. You just practice letting it go physically and emotionally. You let it go because you don't need it right now. Wow. That's just, I feel like I had to take notes <laughs> the entire time in our that? conversation. I took notes. Because I'm like, this is really good stuff. Like I am, like, I know yeah. I could throw other situations out there. And I like, I, I'm like, I don't want to over, you know, step my time with you, but, um, cause even, you know, the CBT part and forgiving, letting yourself have the anger, but you mentioned my spouse, like my spouse, I'm very fortunate. We we've, we've been pretty good throughout all of this, you know, like he's been supportive, but there are so many families who have a spouse taking it like they handle it differently and there's a lot of resentment and so like you mentioned earlier 
about these unrealistic expectations of people, right? Like, okay, you're expecting your spouse or you're expecting your friends to respond in a certain way during your crisis. And maybe the best that they can give you is what they're giving you right now. You know, everyone's coping in a different manner. Even the people who ghost you, like for whatever reason, they have shied away, not because they think you've got the bubonic plague, but probably more from a place of how do I, I don't even know how to talk to this person right now. You know, I don't know how to help them. And so- but one of the helpful things, if you're interested in helping people's mental health, is to remind them that there's two parts to their suffering. One is what's happening, which can be very difficult to handle. And the second part is how they're coping with what's happening. They're two different parts. When people totally blame their coping on what's happening, they become helpless victims. What you want to help people do is accept that bad things happen and spend more of their energy on their coping. Yes. Not just fighting it. So, you know, I remember once reading this just awful statistic that a significant percentage of men bailed on their wives when they had like advanced breast cancer, that they just bailed. And I was embarrassed being a guy, you know, it's just like, it was embarrassing. And I would think this would be awful if I was one of these wives whose husband disappears because she's sick and now she can't take care of him. And he's got to take care of her. So that's a really hard situation. Mm-hmm. And, and it would make sense to be furious about it for a while. And then after a while, you start recognizing that my fury is actually making me sicker. And yeah. if the schmuck wants to go, then let him go. I mean, it, it's, it becomes a different form of self-preservation but it's one based on kindness. I'll do the best I can. I'll expect what's reasonable. And if people don't do what I want, I'm not gonna hate them because that eats me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt them any. <laughs> what's that? It does not hurt them any. And that wonderful Nelson Mandela line, you know, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for it to kill your enemy. <laughs> I got to quote that one. That's, I don't think I've ever heard that one. That's a good one. So I, I hope I was of some help to you. Yes, I, we really, you know, I appreciate profoundly your time, your knowledge, and just, um, helping our community learn how to cope through forgiveness or, you know, the anger and leading us to forgiveness. And so I really appreciate your time. You know, um, I've written two books on forgiveness. Forgive for good would be helpful for anyone dealing with forgiveness issues. I, if you look me up on Google, 
there's probably a hundred YouTube videos of me teaching stuff. So you could just look at, you could see me yak till you got so sick of it. Um, you, you can't <laughs> even breathe. But what I'm saying is like my two cents were, they're just out there. That's awesome. So uh, are you, do you actually have a channel on YouTube? No, you just Google my name. Okay. And it, yeah, I don't do any of that stuff. But if you Google my name, there's so many videos, it's shocking. And then your two books, and they're available, I'm assuming, on all the platforms like Amazon they, and all that other stuff. They've sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I'm just, but they're simple books on forgiveness. And very few people talk about forgiveness. It's, it's like, it's so important after trauma and difficulty to give you a hope, you know? So the last thing I'll say is one of the things we came to understand was um, that when you're telling a grievance story about what went wrong, you're looking backwards. When you tell a forgiveness story, you're looking forward. I love that. That's the crucial thing. That's that's awesome. I really like that. Yeah. Really profound. Yeah, you can't you can't make a good life looking backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, anyway, I'm I'm happy to have helped. Um, I hope your kid stays healthy. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a great weekend. And so, yeah. thank you. I hope this is of use to some people. Take care. If you have found this podcast helpful or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. If you want to support this podcast and ministry, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com forward slash family chemotherapy. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content from Family Chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.